Liz and I went for the screening of a documentary today. It was following nine people and basically their experience of year 11 and year 12. Okay. So over the course of a year, they would like film themselves and they would vlog it. These nine people, though, the kind of the difference was they were all trans. That made high school, you know, a lot yeah. more challenging for them yeah, in some complex. ways. Yeah. This series that we watched um, today, we watched like all this, like 17 episodes, like four minutes long. And they're going to mm. go out on, um, on Instagram and on TikTok mm. on the Minus 18 page. We were talking to the director this afternoon after we, we watched were. that screening. Yeah. And AP told us it was important to have that documentary on social media. Social media is a blessing and a curse, but I think the third, the third option that people forget is that it's actually a tool. And when we're creating Unerased for, by young people and for young people, we know that where they are is actually on the apps, on Instagram and on TikTok, on Facebook. Um, they're not necessarily watching broadcast TV. They're not necessarily sitting down and watching the ABC News at 6 o'clock. So we knew that in order to actually reach young people and make an impact for them and also to make something that was completely accessible to share with communities, it actually needed to be online. Um, and once we were doing the call-out for the documentary and we got this influx of people from Instagram, from TikTok, saying they wanted to be a part of it, we, we knew that our audience was there. So once we sort of, like, cracked that open we kind of just didn't look back um and yeah and and in terms of the funding pathway the sort of only way that we could make it for online um we could make it was for online because you know it's incredibly hard to get a documentary funded through television or through a theatrical release um and you know with the vlogging format we're so used to watching the vlogging format on tiktoks and instagram it just sort of clicked and made sense for us yeah so that was AP, the queer director of the documentary series, Unerased. They were so insightful. Like, I just mm. have to say our conversation with them was, like, one of the best conversations we've had in some time. Yeah, and that full conversation will be on your preferred podcast platform. It but like, will be. Liz, what was your takeaway from the series? It was honestly a lot to unpack. I genuinely very much liked the fact that it was, like, this bunch of kids that were given the freedom and, the, like, the, like, trusted with the ability to vlog and tell their own stories in a way. So I, because I feel like that just gave, well, firstly, it gave these kids a lot of control over what was shown and like the stories that they were telling. And I think that brought a lot of authenticity and genuinity to like what we were seeing as an audience. Like these people were like telling like true, genuine, very raw stories about their lives. If I was going through something similar, watching that would have been like game changing for me. Mm. I mean, when we're teenagers, right, we're trying to figure out who we are and figure out our Mm. identities. But these people who we were following, the nine of them, they were asking questions about their identities and getting answers that were just so incredibly different from anyone else and having such that uniquely personal experience. And I I thought it was kind of crazy how well it worked just purely because, like, none of the profiles were connected to each other in any way besides, obviously, the main central theme, yet... When you watch their stories, it just seems so cohesive, so cleanly put together. That was, like, for me, that was kind of cool. Yeah, they were kind of finding, like, little moments or little kind of milestones in their lives and tying them together yeah, and connecting them which in that is way. Like, something that just kind of impressed me because, like, I tried to do... we I, I did, like, a module of documentary making in school, and I really like making documentaries and doing, like, nonfiction stories. And I think one thing I always struggled with was trying to, like, cut between different profiles with different stories and different, like, yeah, like things happening. Issue. Know, it's yeah. like, it's like, it's difficult, but when it works, it's like It's actually, magic. You, like, the mosaic of opinions is, like, exactly. so touching. Because it's so much yeah. nicer to have that than to have, like, 
this person's story and then cut to this person's story and then cut to this yeah. person's story. When they complement each other. Right. I wanted to ask, because obviously it's about yeah, identity course. and finding yourself. Are there any other things that, like demographic-wise, that bring these people together? There were two of them that were both um, trying to get hormone replacement therapy. Mm. Uh, there were a couple. There were two organising Wear It Purple Day events at their schools. Mm. And so they just had all these little things in common where it was like, hey it's not just because they're trans. Like, they have so much in common with each other, and that, I thought, was mm. quite a powerful message, actually. What was also interesting was how their identities, I guess, changed and progressed throughout the series, and they were able to access more of their identity as it went on. I changed in a pu- in puberty, but, like, it, that's just really fascinating. There like, were very small changes really that you'd see through it. And I, I think, like, it was also just really cool, just, like, mm. there were... Because basically it was like four minute episodes and then each of them got like three episodes, like three parts. Yeah, so we spent about 12 okay. minutes with each person. And it was really you nice. You learn a lot in 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really, really nice yeah. how full circle moment some of them would like, mm. they'd have this full circle moment. What I kept hearing over and over again while watching it was people going, I wish I knew this sooner. Yes. Or I wish that I knew this. And mm. so we were talking to the director, AP, who told us about their own personal journey with identity. One thing that I wish I knew sooner was, like, that it's okay not to figure it all out, like, straight away. I think that's, like, not one thing. I think once you once you figure out that, oh, maybe I'm not of a cis identity, maybe I'm trans, maybe I'm non-binary, maybe I'm this, I think there's this, like, very big pressure to figure that out and to change the name and the pronouns and to do everything. But I think one thing that I would like to know sooner, and I think this runs through the documentary, is knowing that, like, it takes time to figure it out and to figure out who you are and that's okay if you haven't got it all figured out yet. I think that's probably like the number one thing I wish I knew as like a younger, like my, in my younger self was just that you could take your time to figure out who you are. Yeah. These people are being so vulnerable. Like they're literally letting you into, you know, they're filming mm-hmm. vlogs in their bedrooms while they're going through this process of, of social transition, in some cases medical transition. And that's now, you know, on social media, on Minus 18, this huge platform for everyone to see on Instagram even. You know, mm-hmm. there are some really dicey comment sections out there, aren't there, Dom? Yeah, that's, I'm actually a little bit emotional after hearing AP say that because, um, yeah, me and my friends are all really queer and we're actually, yeah, we're trying to do it slow and I'm, like, learning things about myself every day. So, um, yeah, I think that vulnerability is incredible. I think you'd hope at this time it's formative and I think that is it's powerful to have that there for people and this new generation um, I mean, every generation's a new generation. It's only going to get more accepted, especially gender diversity. Like, that, yeah, like big moves are being made and it's because of people. It's just, yeah, lovely to even, like, be engaged in such a project. You're going through this, like, experience, right, of, like, figuring out who you are, mm. but then also, right, you know, being as plugged in as we are, seeing how queerness and how being trans is talked about, like, on the news even and in the media... Right? It's, it's a bit so, confronting, isn't it, it? It's actually, it feels a bit traumatic. Like, oh, um, I think there is a trauma there, actually, through the narratives that have been sold. And I don't want to go back in my healing by opening myself up to it. Mm-hmm. Other people who are divorced from it, such as my family, who none of which are queer, um, they can talk about it in this kind of intellectual way. And I find just for myself, um, where I'm at, I... I can't. Yeah, like for even you, it's not just—it's not just theory. Yeah, it is real life. I'm not ready yet to be like. Um, I, I argue against it for sure, but I yeah, I'm. It's hard. 
it's really hard. I think it's ridiculous and baffling that there are people who even offer opinions who know nothing about it. I can't deal. I guess when it's so meaningful to you, but maybe it's not as meaningful to other people. Mm, And that's a privilege to then speak on that and do so in an unempathetic way that's coming from ignorance. Oh, they just didn't know. But you're still having that entitlement, and I think it's that entitlement that is the most dangerous. We were, again, watching this this documentary series, and a, a lot of the, the kids involved, again, just kids, right, were saying the same thing of, like, we just have to switch off sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, you just see it on the news, and you're like, they're talking about me, and I just can't. Yeah. I can't hear this right now. Withdrawing was one option, but for the, the kids involved at the centre of this documentary, we were talking to AP, the director, about what the process for duty of care looked like behind the scenes. Our duty of care plan was about 20 to 30 pages long, but basically involved the participate, like with, with Transgender Victoria and Project Rocket to come involved, where we had kind of two sections of being able to support these young people throughout the process. And one was more uh, like peer support counselling based. So just a, uh, basically a program or someone that people that, that any of the kids could turn to for counselling support that wasn't anyone in the documentary team that was confidential. They ever needed to talk to someone throughout filming the process. Um, the only time we asked to be notified was if the production was harming them in any way or was having a negative effect. And that was based more in, you know, peer support and leadership in the trans experience. And that was run by Transgender Victoria. We also do, like, a lot of community workshops and panels and getting the kids together to talk about, you know, debrief sessions on how they're feeling. Um, and also any of the kids could leave the project at any time. That was, that was always there. And then the other side of it with Project Rocket was dealing with more online safety. So we had a lot of workshops around how to keep safe on Instagram and TikTok, um, and which we still continue to do today, a lot talking a lot about like what are the actually mechanics of the apps and you know making sure that your profiles are private or if we do get online hate, this is what we're going to do. What approach are we going to take? Um, being able to risk manage the online space for trans young people. So it was a really big duty of care document, but we're really lucky to have really two like big powerhouse organisations behind us who have those expertise in dealing with young people and safety Um, and yeah it still continues on today we're still doing aftercare um, as we release the project um, which is really really great but yeah it's been I would say if I'm throughout the day if I'm not in the edit I'm I'm working on this aftercare plan with these people so it's like it's a good third of what you do in the process yeah that was the director AP there you can listen to the full conversation on your preferred podcast platform just search up Naughty Roadshow Sin literally the best conversation you will hear if this conversation was confronting, you can always contact the Q Life helpline on 1800 184 527. That's 1800 184 527, or Google the Q Life website. And if you would like to watch the series, uh, you can find it at minus 18 youth on Instagram and TikTok. There's going to be about three episodes twice a week. I'm not sure. I guess you'll find out. Hi, this is Sarah from Apricot Inc. You're listening to The Naughty Rude Show. You're listening to The Naughty Rude Show here with. Lachlan and Sarah. Thank you. Now, Sarah, last week we played a brand new game called mm. Queer Coded or Brunswick Presenting. And yes. in, in the course of that game, you used a new word to describe yourself that you actually hadn't used on air before. We yeah. sounded it out in public. Off air, we'd had these conversations, but that was, it the felt like a bit of a turning point, right? Yeah. So just to recall last week, I said, everyone knows how much I love mask lesbians. Just this like is true. This is so known. much. Like it is a known fact. As I said at the time, they really do it for you. They really do it for me. And that is because I too am a lesbian, mm-hmm. which feels weird to say. It feels weird to kind of come out again after you have already come out. Yes. I think I've been toying with the term for a while. Like I think 
Well, when I first came out, I was pansexual. And I just didn't realize I was not attracted to men. Like, I'm just, I'm very much not attracted to men. It's okay, I understand. I started using the term queer. And then I think I did try out lesbian for a little bit. And then I reverted back to gay or to queer. I think I've realized it's because lesbian is a noun. Mm. You know, people say, I'm gay. I'm queer. Those are adjectives. They are describing words to describe your sexual identity. But when I say, hey, I'm Sarah and I'm a lesbian, you could be saying like, hey, I'm Sarah and I'm a chair. Right. Like I'm a lesbian accountable noun. Mm. Perhaps you weren't ready to stand up and be counted yet. Yeah. Like maybe not. It's a weird thing to come to terms with because I just like in the office, I was like, hey, guys, I'm a lesbian. And you guys were like, I know. Like, duh. Like, everyone knows how much you love masked lesbians. Well, we, we had had these conversations. Yeah, these, this has been going on for a couple of months. And then I think I was talking to my housemate the other day. And I was like, oh, no, but, like, I'm, I'm a lesbian. Like, I know that we, we thought I was queer, but I am a lesbian. Like, through and through, that is me. So what was the turning point for you? I just feel like it suits better. There is so much pride in owning something that feels a bit uncomfortable. There's a lot of pride to it. I think it suits more. It is who I am. And I think that whilst queer and gay might be descriptive, it's an identity of its own. The other interesting tension and conflict that exists here is with people who are, they say they're pansexual or queer or bisexual. Sometimes there is this critique of, or are you just queer for now you yeah words used like is this a layover you a tourist yeah and I felt a lot of guilt for a really long time when I realized that I was not pansexual because I had come out to my friends I think I came out for the first time when I was like 14 15 for a very long time I was like I'm a lesbian except for like Harry Styles and except for like men that are so out of reach and so idealistic to me and then I was like hmm maybe that's heteronormative that sort of thing. So then the men that I was finding myself attracted to were like these idealistic, never going to happen, like pinnacle of a man. But it's like, actually, am I just attracted to the the, the idea of like an easy little life? But yeah, so I think I felt a lot of shame when I was like, oh, I am not pansexual. I am definitely queer. I am definitely gay. It's just been like a weird journey sort of realizing that I am a lesbian. One of these kind of recurring themes that comes up for a lot of people mm. is because there is so much shame in claiming a queer identity in the first place. As soon as you do have that queer identity you've claimed, you almost feel responsible as a representative yeah. of that community yeah. for the people who can't come out. But you also feel like maybe you aren't, you know, you shouldn't feel shame anymore. Yeah, There's I that mean, really complicated relationship. Yeah, like sexuality is fluid and that's something that we know, but like I still felt a lot of shame to admit that I was wrong about myself because it feels really courageous to come out and I love the fact that like a lot of people these days don't feel the need to come out and they can just sort of be and that's really nice. But when I was younger, it was very much, I felt like I had to come out to people and I was like, this is what best fits, but it Mm. is ultimately wrong. For me, what drove a lot of kind of the back and forth Mm. and it took a long time to come to terms with my identity. I still came out at 14, so, you know, pretty early compared to a lot of people. But the time really from when I started questioning to when I was like, I now have the answer to this question. As someone who answers questions for a living, yeah, I was like, this is taking a little bit too long. Yeah. Let's speed it up. 
but it's because I didn't have that vocabulary of, you know, I have to be straight or I have to be gay. And then, yeah. oh, my God, bisexual, that's the answer. As soon as I figured that out, I was like, I now I can figure it out because for something I was so confused of, hold on, but I'm into women. Yeah. But I'm into men. So which one am I? Is one of those not sincere? And mm. I think there's this relationship with bisexuality or queerness and insincerity. Yeah. Of, you're using this because it's politically convenient mm-hmm. because you're not really committed to the cause. Yeah. You still feel the shame and you're not entitled to feel that. But yeah. bisexuality exists in and of itself Absolutely. as a really authentic identity. And perhaps it wasn't the identity for you, right? Yeah. Queerness, you've landed on. It was so hard to figure out that I wasn't attracted to men. Mm. Like that was a lot harder. For some people it's like, well, if that is still there, then it's like, how do you know? And it's like, well, maybe... Maybe you're bisexual. Maybe you're just queer. And there's not a lot of grace for that. No. I feel like for women as well, in terms of, you know, and this is what I've observed, so if that's not your experience, let me know. Yeah. But being queer is a lot more accepted than being lesbian. I think so. And then for men, it's the other way around. Yeah, which is really Just say that you're gay, you're a liar. In my experience, it's really interesting to watch my friendships with men as soon as they realise there is no chance in hell. It's shown me a lot where it's like I can be getting along with a guy really great and as soon as he realises that I am a lesbian, I am not just queer, the respect shifts, like the amount of care and the amount of attention and the way they speak to me changes, Mm. which is like just horrifying. You start to think like, did you only see me as like as a a prospect? Yeah. Like it's actually just like so terrifying. That being said, I'm also friends with a lot of men. There are a lot of men who are really great um, about it, but there has just been way too many instances in my life where it's like as soon as I realize that I am not attracted to men, respect shifts. It comes from what you thought was a foundation of friendship. Yeah. Their intentions weren't clear from the beginning. Yeah. And now there's this revelation. Which is a whole nother can of worms because I think it's something that a lot of women experience, even if they're not queer, it can just be a thing. And that's always confronting to see. It's really interesting kind of that um, that progression of mm. and the relationship between, you know, the platonic relationships and then those kind of more sexual or romantic relationships. Because my experience has been big women fan, personally. Yeah, love women. We're besties. Yeah. Like, I find it really easy to make friends with women. I'd say I find it easier to make friends with women than I find it to make friends with men. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a me issue. I grew up in Brisbane, but... (laughs) Don't do it. With that being said, there's an experience I had last year where I had a friend who realised that I was bisexual. I got my nails painted, the Mm. the bi pride colours for, I think it was Wear It Purple Day. And she went, hold on, so so you're bisexual. So so do you think I'm hot? Like, are you into me? And it's like, we've been friends for three months and I just can't go from we were friends to now we're something different. And I feel like with the men who found it difficult to deal with the fact that you're a lesbian, yeah, they felt that friendship was a progression to a romantic to relationship. Else. Yeah, for me, they are two entirely separate. Absolutely, tracks. friendship is like something in its own league entirely. Yeah, and so she's telling me like, "Are you into me?" And it's like you are about three months too late for yeah. this conversation. <laughs> three months ago, me maybe. Yeah, and then later, she's a smoker, mm-hmm. and so we were at a convenience store, which was buying some some cigarettes. An insane amount of money. Mm. I was like, oh, my gosh. So we are not promoting that because no. not, in, not in this economy. Too much. Not in this economy. Yeah. 
she is paying an extortionate amount of money for cigarettes. And yep. I threw a chocolate bar on the counter. Uh-huh. Because it was a rounding yeah. error at that point. I'm like, there's a $1 chocolate bar. And she goes, oh, yeah, I'll buy you that for a pash. And oh. I thought I thought she was joking. And then later we come out of the store and she goes, okay, pay up. This was on the close friend's story. I'll be honest, the only reason I did it is because someone started filming. And I went... This is a <laughs> bit now. This yeah. is a bit now. And it was and it was funny and it was the moment, right? But also you are legitimately attracted to women. Not this one I'm, because yeah, there is friendship I'm not there. attracted to this woman. And then later she was like, oh, come on, Lachlan. She knew how to get through to me. She was like, do it again and it'll be much better for the close friends straight. It'll freak uh, people out so much more. And it's like, you are appealing to me not as a bisexual person but as a content creator. And I, yeah. love, that you're, <laughs> I love that you're meeting me where I'm at here. Yeah. But it's also not taking you seriously. No, I didn't feel like I was being taken seriously, but that's okay. It's like, we are friends. That was yeah. fine. That was yeah. okay. But it wasn't understood that mm. I'm into women, right? And this is something that we can agree on, yeah, Sarah. And I that's how we're so. doing this segment together. Yeah. Literally, that's the, that's, that's the yeah, link. That's, that's the <laughs> connection between these two entirely separate <laughs> stories. But romantic and sexual relationships are entirely different from platonic Absolutely. relationships. And that just wasn't understood in that moment. Yeah. The thing is, because I'm so good at making friends with women, it then really narrows down the field. Yeah, I can imagine. Because... They're like, name a woman you're attracted to it. I'm like, no, because if I can name them, I'm not attracted to them. Yeah. <laughs>